long, or maybe this is even your first time. Um, sometimes we have people kind of look at us with panic after the, the second song, like, wait, we didn't sing long enough. What's, what's going on there? Um, we, we save the bulk of, of our worship through song actually for after the sermon. We do that intentionally. Um, I think sometimes we can view singing as the means of to get us kind of emotionally connected enough that we can make it through a sermon. And yet where God is typically most clearly and most often speaks is through his word. Um, and so we want to worship then in response to what God has revealed to us about himself, about ourselves, um, and, and changes that might need to be made. Um, through his word, we want to be able to worship in response to that after, after the message. And so if you were thinking, I want to sing more, there will be opportunity to sing more. So here at Redeemer, we tend about 95, 98% of the time, we are preaching through a book of scripture, just week by week, month by month, chapter by chapter, working our way through it. And so we just finished um, roughly five months in Hebrews last week. So this morning, it means we're picking up a new book. Um, And so as we begin, the first sermon sometimes can feel, at least in the first few minutes, a little bit more like a lecture. I hope it doesn't feel too much like that as we lay a little bit of just context of understanding as to one, you know, where is this book coming from and why are we, why are we going to it now? Um, we preach this way because we believe that all of God's word is valuable. It's useful. It forces us to preach passages we would not typically preach to deal with issues that we would not typically deal with. Um, it also is helpful that if you walk, walk in this morning with some sin that is still kind of maybe owning you, and your sin is hit, on, hit upon, you're not going, man, how'd they know, right? It's just the next passage up. And so we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. Um, and so as you turn to Proverbs 1, just begin to, to lay out a little bit of, of the situation here. Um, so Proverbs is wisdom literature. It's poetry. So in Scripture, we have so many different genres. We As we were walking through Hebrews, we saw that it was a letter. It was written by an author, an individual to a specific church at a specific time. Um, with Proverbs, what we have is, is poetry. And West Texas is not known as being a bastion of art appreciation, right? Poetry is not high. Now, listen, I know there are some of you who write poetry and you embrace poetry, but we're not known for that, okay? So, like, let's just, we kind of like it to, like, tell me clearly and tell me straightforward, and I'll decide if I'm going to do it or not. And so Proverbs, we just need to just kind of understand we're going to struggle a little bit with this, right? Because really what Proverbs is doing is it's asking you to to wrestle with things. It's meant to be chewed on, right? It's not meant to just be a box checked, but it's meant to be a thought that you mull over, that you consider, that you reflect on, that you meditate on. Proverbs um, specifically are short, memorable statements of, of kind of a general truth, and they tend to be practical in nature. So they're supposed to be short and memorable. Um, that's why many of you have some Proverbs memorized that were specific, practical help to you in different times of your life, whether it involved um, anger or your tongue or relationships. There are so many that are short and easy to remember. Um, we're going to see a lot of um, very vivid imagery in the Proverbs, right? They, one of the... the the markers besides them being kind of short and memorable is the imagery is vivid. And so I'll just give you one from Proverbs 26, as a dog returns to its vomit, right? So is a man who returns to a sin. And right, and you, you hear that first image, you're like, ah, oh, I saw my dog do that this week, 
right? And you're like, that's a very vivid image. And then you're like, oh, that's what my sin looks like. And right, the, the Proverbs are going to be marked by that kind of vivid imagery. Um, along with the books of Job and Ecclesiastes, these kind of mark the wisdom literature we find in the Old Testament. And what you're going to see is Proverbs is going to kind of hold up more of an ideal of the way life should go. And sometimes people have accused Proverbs of being a little too clean, right? A little too hopeful. That's what Job and Ecclesiastes, they kind of come in and like pop that bubble, right? And they say, so even if you live a really wise life, we live in a broken world. And you can do everything the right way and things can still happen and you can still be crushed. And so we need Job and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs to kind of give us a balance of what wisdom um, and, and, and the pursuit of the Lord in this regard would look like. That there are some general truths, right? That if you avoid hanging out with like blatant sinning places, you tend to have a longer life because you're not in situations where people are getting shot, right? Or where people where those type of things are happening. In general, that's true. And Job and Ecclesiastes would say, and yet sometimes you're in your home and something really bad happens. Right? That both of these things are true. And so we need all of the wisdom, right, that Scripture gives us to kind of balance out because we live in a broken world that did have an intended created order. Um, Solomon is the composer of many but not all of the Proverbs. Right? So Solomon reigned as the king of Israel from 971 to 931 BC. So we're talking roughly 3,000 years ago. Um, and so it, I'm going to turn briefly to 1 Kings 3. You can turn with me if you want, or you can just listen because we'll be back in Proverbs 1. But Solomon was the son of King David. And after his father had ruled well, I want to read to you, this is 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings in the high places. Um, in verse 5, we see at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O oh Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or how to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for a multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. To govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and not asked for yourself a long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for understanding to discern what is right, behold, now I will do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before. And none like you shall arise after you. Right? So this is the compiler and the writer of most of our Proverbs. One who wanted to lead the people of God with wisdom. And so he asked. And God has granted it. So we see then the source of the wisdom that we're going to approach is ultimately God via the instrument of Solomon. Now Solomon's not the only one. There are going to be some other um, Proverbs included. 
right? But uh, we see in Saul, or sorry, Proverbs 25.1 that Hezekiah, a king who followed after Solomon um, a couple hundred years later, right, that some of his men found some of Solomon's Proverbs that hadn't been compiled and he brings them in. Um, and so, there's, so we know that the book of Proverbs came together roughly 2,700 years ago, right? So we're talking an ancient book of wisdom. Chapters 30 and 31 each have their own individual authors, Agar and Lemuel, that we'll look at in weeks to come. As you're looking at the book of Proverbs, the first nine chapters are basically poems and speeches, right? With this idea of wisdom being personified as a woman, and it's a father talking to his son saying, look, there's, there's a woman who will lead you in the ways of wisdom, and there's a woman who will lead you to sin and foolishness and death. And he kind of, he begins to create these vivid imageries of these two women in two different paths. And so there's these speeches and these poems, and those are the first nine chapters. It, it's, it's like a father warning his son or his daughter, right? It's, it's, it's saying, I'm not going to shield you from the world. I'm actually going to tell you what's out there and what's coming for you, and then how to intervene, how to act. So just a quick example of this. Carson, our oldest, is 10 now. And so some of you would say, maybe you should have done this before. Some are going, hey, you should have done this later, right? This is where wisdom, right, begins to move in. That there's not always a specific don't kill, right? There's wisdom in how we, how we parent and how we intervene. And so we set her down a couple months back. And we just kind of laid out some, like, grade one low-level cuss words, right? So I'm like... You're going to hear some things. You're going to hear it in songs. You're going to hear it in movies. You're going to hear it from people. And even though we're trying to keep you from getting too much of that, right, we want to have this conversation. So we just asked her, hey, what cuss words do you know? And she knew one, right? And the other three that she gave were not cuss words, right? And so I'm like, hey, I'm feeling pretty good about this. And I'm like, now I'm making the decision as your father. I'm going to expose you to a few words. And so I I said them. I made her say them. I defined them, and then I said, here's why people use them and how they use them. And here's why we don't. Right? That's what Proverbs 1 through 9 is trying to do. Right? On a much larger, much more dangerous scale of saying, the world wants to destroy you. And yet God has granted us wisdom and understanding. And there are ways that we can follow the path that leads to life. And there are things that we can do. And it's going to be enticing. And you're going to want to do it. And so I'm going to tell you that you're going to want to do it. And here's why you don't do it. And sometimes, son, you're going to be a fool. Right? That's, that's Proverbs 1 through 9. Proverbs beginning in 10 through, chapters, through chapter 29 is what you think of when you think of Proverbs. Right? Where it's just bullet list. Boom, boom, boom. Of just quick, pithy, terse, vivid statements. Right? That's chapters 10 through 29. And then 30 and 31 are, are chapters from these two other individuals. Um, so let's, let's look at Proverbs 1, beginning in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, right? That's the, the setting we gave you in 1 Kings 3. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, in equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. 
Now verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We're going we're to stop there. Y'all, what Proverbs is meant for is it is an instruction manual for life. Right? It, it was meant to instruct young men and women, right, in how to approach and live life under the authority of God. It is meant to be practical help for those who need it. And so and just so, so we know and we're understood, we all need it. We all need wisdom. We all need practical help. And in case you're going, hey, I'm not, I'm not so young anymore, look at verse 5. Let the wise, right, not the young, let the wise, the older, those who are already wise, hear and increase in learning. We don't stop. There's never a time where we're like, I think I've got enough wisdom. I think I'm good. Like that we're going to all continue to grow in wisdom. That there's the, the purpose is, listen, there's going to be a lot of repetition. It's to know wisdom and instruction, to receive words, right? So that we can be righteous and just, so that we can give prudence to the simple, those who are not yet wise. Knowledge and discretion. That there's going to be discipline required. To gain it, to strive for it, to want it. One of the key kind of dichotomies that Proverbs is going to show up is the wise man and the fool, right? The wise woman and the fool. And it's going to say, like, here's what a fool would do and here's what a wise person would do. And it's going to give us a third category of the simple, right? The one who yet, maybe yet isn't a fool, but it certainly isn't wise. And they're trying to draw the simple into the path of the wise and not into the path of the foolish, right? So this is parenting, <laughs> like literally last night. Um, hanging out with Jude, it's bedtime, and he is running across the room trying to do a flip onto the couch, feet slamming into the wall, right? Picture frame hanging above him, thinking, this isn't great, right? This is not going to end well. So we need to stop, right? Before your feet go through the wall, before something comes off the wall and crushes you, before you run your head into the couch. Like, nothing good happens here. Besides that Carmen doesn't want him to do it, right? Like, that's, right? She wasn't in the room, though, so I was, in, I was in charge. And so I tell him, hey, don't do that. And if you do, you're going to lose one of your books because we're fixing to go to bed. And instead of getting two, you're going to get one. Like, that'll be the consequence. And so he's like, okay, is it okay if I just walk by the couch and fall on it? And I'm like, that's okay, right? And so he's just walking by the couch, and he'll just, like, crumple onto it. And then after a few minutes of that, like, I kind of go off to doing something, and I see him running across, flipping, slamming into the wall. And I'm like, hey, Jude, you just lost a book. What? I don't want to lose a book. What? You know, and he just throws, like, this, like, he's angry. All right. A fool ignores wisdom and instruction and advice. Right? Our children, they come out fools. Right? And our job is to, with, along with the church and one another, is to help move them, right, towards wisdom. But we, so what do we do as believers or as, as, as those in the world who don't yet know God or as children? We ignore good advice and instruction. And what you're doing in return is you're ignoring the giver of it and saying, I don't trust you or I don't want to do that. In, in Jude's case, it was me. In many of our cases, it's God. Right? They were saying, I'm going to ignore that. Why? Why do we do that? Because we assume there will be no effect. 
He's thinking, my feet won't go through the wall. That frame won't fall over me. And I don't think you're going to offer a consequence. Right? Like, we do this in life. We think, assume, I can sin. God's got enough on his plate. He's not going to get me. And I'm smarter than those people that got caught anyway. Right? We come into it and we are fools. I'm good. I got this. And then when the consequence comes, we raise an angry fist at the one who brought it. Because we assume it wasn't us. Right? Jude got a consequence. And so I said, man, hey, you're, you're freaking out because I gave you a consequence that I promised you before you did it. Whose fault is this? Mine. Yeah, man. Yours. I told you and I wasn't mad. And we raise an angry fist at God. Say, God, why did this happen? He's like, I told you not to do it. And there are natural consequences in a created world of things that will happen that's not God picking on you. But it's just the way the world has been set up by his good and benevolent hands. And so listen, we are going to look at wisdom. And Proverbs is not set up to go week by week, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Right? So what we'll do is we're going to look at wisdom. And then we're going to look at some topics of how does the Proverbs, how do the Proverbs speak about money, about power, about sex, about friendship, about work, about laziness. Because the, those Proverbs are spread throughout chapters 10 through 29. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, would say, the Proverbs are a puzzle and we need all the pieces to see the cumulative effect. That any one taken on away and on its own is potentially dangerous. We need to see the cumulative effect as it is built out. Why? Why are we going to Proverbs? This is a question I always want to ask. Why are we doing this one now? Is because, listen, all of you want a good, happy, healthy life. Right? You'll hear parents often say, what do you want for your kids? I want them to be happy and healthy. Right? You obviously want more than that. But like that's kind of, that sums it up. We want to have good lives. And wisdom defined, I want to define wisdom for you here. Here's wisdom. It is being skilled at life. Right? The word wisdom is actually used to describe craftsmen in Scripture. Like those who are great at sailing. In Exodus, those who are building or, or sewing parts of the tabernacle. They were showing wisdom. They were showing craftsmanship and taking knowledge and producing something beautiful. And so wisdom is not just having a plethora of knowledge in your head. It's being able to take that by the Spirit of God and have a life that is obedient. It's beautiful. Wisdom is being skilled at life. So verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So fear of the Lord. This interesting phrase that we're going to see over and over and over again. And what people want to do here is they want to take fear and talk about what it means. And they want to talk about Lord and talk about what it means. And it, that would be the same as you saying, I'm going to study the word butter and the word fly so that I can learn what a butterfly is. Right? And if you study all the things you can know about butter and you study all the things you can know about a fly and put them together and say, that's a butterfly, you don't know anything. Right? And so if we assume that we need to study fear and we need to study the Lord to know what the fear of the Lord is, we are completely wrong. It is a combination thought here. And we cannot separate these ideas. It does not mean being terrified that God is going to smite you. Right? Fear 
of the Lord is an openness to Him. Is an eagerness to please Him. It is the humility to learn, to hear from Him, and to respond. It is reverence, and it is awe. And if you just want a simple definition, here it is. The fear of the Lord is the opposite of a hard heart. It's a heart that's saying, God, I I need you, I want you, and I know you're the source of what I need. So the fear of the Lord, right, having a proper understanding of who he is, is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. A quick caution. We'll get into this in weeks to come. Proverbs are not promises, right? They are general principles of life. And some people will take these Proverbs and say, see, God's told me he'll do this. And that is not how Proverbs work, okay? So like raise up your child, right? In the fear and admonition of the Lord. And when they're older, they will not depart from it, right? They'll return to it. That is, in general, if you raise your child to love Jesus, most likely they're going to love Jesus. That is not a promise. There's been a lot of nights where people have laid awake crying out, saying, God, when is this going to happen? And it's not a promise, Right? So we need to approach Scripture appropriately. And this is poetry. And it is not meant to be authoritative promises from God. And that's why Job and Ecclesiastes will come in and say, you can do it all right. And it can all go away. Right? Because we live in a fallen and broken world. So that's just a, a quick caution. We will deal with that on a, almost a weekly basis moving forward. And so here's the fear of the Lord. It is seeing God rightly. It's the author and the perfecter of everything that we need. And it's seeing ourselves rightly as fools who need it. And not being so arrogant as to think that we don't. Right? You think about yourself. If it, maybe at 16 or at 18. Right? And how, how ugly that would have looked if you could have seen on the outside how you talked to your parents or to teachers or to authority figures. Because you knew it all. Or maybe you're currently in that situation. You're just the adult looking at the 16 or the 18 year old. Right? Y'all, that's the demeanor, right, we don't want to have with God. I don't need you. I got this. We need to see God rightly as trusting, as good, as wisdom. We need to see ourselves rightly as those who need it. And apart from it, we'll be fools and open to crushing. Think about the fall for just a moment. Genesis 3. What's the what's this serpent offer? You want to really see? You want your eyes to be open? Don't trust God. Right? That was, that was the lie. That was, you do this and you'll get what God has and you don't have to go through him to get it. And that is the, those are the two paths that are now laid before us. There's the path of the righteous who trust God. And there's the path of the wicked who don't. There's the path of the wise who, are, on, who are, are the righteous. The path of the fool, right? Who is the wicked. If we think New Testament, it's, the, it's those who have met Jesus and those who haven't. Those who are headed towards him or those who are headed away from him. So you're probably asking, okay, where are we going to see Jesus in the Proverbs? This is written, you know, 700 years, 900 years before him. Jesus is the ultimate, right, guide on the path of the righteous, of the faithful, of the saved, to the Father. He is on that path, and he is not a fool. 
In Matthew 13, 54, we are reminded, as we see multiple times in the Gospels, that those around him were astounded at the wisdom in which he spoke. They saw him and said, where, where did this come from? And then in Matthew 12, 42, he is speaking and he he refers to Solomon, right? This gentleman who has put together um, this, this wise compilation. And listen to what he says. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is telling us this. You think Solomon is wise? It came from me. I'm wiser. I'm better. So church, if we want to go to the, to the, to the Proverbs and simply kind of roll around in wisdom and hope it sticks to us, that's not how it works. We go to Jesus. And Jesus is the giver of wisdom. That we are astounded at his wisdom and the works of his hands. 1 Corinthians 1, 24 and Colossians 2, 3 both tell us this, that Jesus is the wisdom of God, right? He is the wisdom of God. And so I want us to look just a little more in chapter 1. Look down at verse 24. Because I have called you and you refuse to listen. I have stretched out my hands and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all of my counsel and would have none of my reproof, right? So he's saying... I tried, I shared, I reached out my hand, I'm offering it, right? This is God speaking, saying, I'm offering these things to you. Look at verse 29. But because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all of my reproof, therefore they will eat the fruit of their way. They will have the fill of their own devices, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. He's saying, listen, the path of the wicked, the path of the fool will lead to destruction. It will lead to death and you will get all the fill of that that which you've lived. You're going to die in it. But go back up. We started in 24. Look at 23. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you. So then we go to 33. We're seeing how the, right, they build these themes and they come back to it. It's in poetry. Verse 30, 33. So whoever listens to me will dwell secure, will be at ease without dread of disaster. Listen, that is not without potential disaster in this life, but it's the fact that you'll be secure, that your hope and your eternity is secure in him, that you win, that your soul is anchored. So he says, you, wanna, you want wisdom? You turn to me and I will give it. And you will be secure. And if you don't, you'll get what you want. But it will end with death and with destruction. Proverbs 2, 6 tells us that God will give us wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 24, 11 says that he will rescue those who are headed to death. It's right that all of us who know Jesus this morning were once on a path of death and destruction. And at some point he reached out and snatched us off that and said, now you're on the path. Of the wise and the righteous. That is why we trust him. And so in Matthew 7. One last passage. I want you to think of the Proverbs. And, and where we're headed now. And now hear Jesus say these words. This is Matthew seven twenty four. Everyone then who hears these words of mine. And does them. 
will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, right? The, the issues of life still came. The winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The path is set before us. Are we going to walk in wisdom, trusting God as the giver of wisdom, Jesus as the example of wisdom, right, as the embodiment of wisdom? Or are we good? We got it. We're all right. And then the rains come and the house falls. And like Jude, we raise an angry fist of, I don't want consequences. Right? The choice is set before us. Come to Jesus for wisdom and depend upon him to give it. Right? Jesus is wisdom and he walked a wise life perfectly. The Holy Spirit within us is able to take the wisdom of God and remind us and stir us in it. And we have a Father who gives wisdom. And listen to this. He created a world where wisdom is the way we are to live. Right? This idea of wisdom is like that it is woven through the fabric of space and time, right? Of creation. He set a standard expectation of the world. That is how God made it. The fall broke things. Wisdom is saying, hey, we're going to be able to walk and avoid the things in the potholes and the brokenness of life because we're walking in the way it was intended. Right? And we're going to do this together in community. Wrestling, struggling, striving to look more like Jesus, that he would be the treasure of our hearts. So this morning, right, we just kind of have laid out, hopefully, a banquet feast said, hey man, let's, let's come and sink our teeth into the wisdom of God in the weeks to come. Asking him to deliver. This morning, the band's going to come back up. There'll be some men and women in the back if you need someone to talk with, to pray with. If you need to sit as the Spirit ministers to you, you do that. If you want to stand and sing to your King, the giver of wisdom, you do that. Right? But this morning, would you consider, do I need to confess that I'm a fool? And I'm wise in my own eyes. Right? Do I need to confess that I have a need and I yet live arrogantly and independently like I don't? Right? Would we begin to ask the Spirit to prepare our hearts to not just hear and affirm the knowledge, the wisdom of God, but actually to embody it, to be skilled at life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you have given us such a wide variety of genres of literature, God, that we can read letters from individuals, that we can read songs and poems, that we can read history, Father, that we can read prophecy, God, that you have given us a variety of ways to approach your word. God, so would you encourage those this morning who are excited and anxious to delve into this, God, for those who are a little turned off by poetry, um, or, or maybe who just think they're wise. God, would you, would you give us humility? God, would we come in wanting to live out verse 5 of maybe any wisdom we have that we would just grow in it? God, to so strip away arrogance, independence, pride. 
and give us hearts to see, to hear, to treasure, to long, to be men and women who look like Jesus, wise in this world, for your glory and for your good. In Jesus' name.